Kia and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chambers. And today we're celebrating climate, employer and collaboration champions. Yay! Hey, Kiora Chambers. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you. Yep. Just finished our long labour weekend, so it was nice to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, normally we head up to Matarangi for the long weekends, but our family are obviously stuck in Auckland, so we decided that we would just stay here in Taupo, and it was quite good. Had a bit of time in the garden and did all those boring chores around the home that you sometimes just don't get to. Oh, nice. Well, I was working for the long weekend and we had lots of Kiwi visitors coming flying and skydiving and all kinds right. of activities with us. So it was great. That's awesome. And are you seeing many North Islanders come down? We are and, and from random parts of the North Island. Normally when you ask somebody where they've come from, they would refer to it as just North Island, but they're telling us that it's Tauranga or Palmerston North or Wellington and yeah, yeah. it's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it is nice to see people get out and about. I don't think Topo was quite as busy as usual on the weekend, but certainly quite a few people here from Wellington and Wanganui and Hawke's Bay and all the surrounding regions. Obviously, we do miss our Waikato and Auckland friends, but we'll just (laughs) wait for them to get let out at some point soon. But let's not talk about that. Although we, do, we give them the app because they're doing it hard for They us. are doing it for us. Yes, absolutely. Hey, so last week, before we get into the show, this is part seven of our yes. Tourism Awards special. So we're cranking through them. But last week, we offered our listeners a chance to win two nights at the Russell Orongo Bay Holiday Park if they subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Well, a lot of people out there either really need a break in Russell or they want some free marketing tips from me. So hopefully it's a bit of both because um, we had a great response. So it's now time to draw a winner. And I've once again got them all here. Oh, listen to that. So I'm just going to drop them down. Oops, God, I've just made a mess on my desk. <laughs> Pick one up. Oh, and the winner is... Aaron, and I don't have Aaron's last name here because he mustn't have put it on his email. Aaron from Shelley Beach in the Coromandel. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So I don't know Aaron, but I've got a feeling that Shelley Beach, that might be another holiday park. So he can go up to Russell and check out the competition. So congrats, Aaron, and thanks for listening in and subscribing. Wouldn't it be great if we hear um, a collaboration story out of that? Yes, yes, because yeah, Coromandel, Russell, yeah, yeah, kind of similar by the beach. Might be looking to do something similar. Absolutely, cool. So, talking about prizes, though, this week we've got another prize from iFly Queenstown. So keep listening in for that one. Although no one can win it because I'm going to. Yes, that's a bit of a favourite for you as yeah. um, your skydiving experience Background. there. Yeah. Yes, and you may have seen us ask you to vote for us in the New Zealand Podcast Awards. So there's only a few days left. It finishes on the 31st of October. So it would really mean so much to us if you went on to nzpodcastawards.com and placed a vote for us in the Listener Choice Awards. Yes, yeah, certainly would. 
it does seem like most of the podcasts nominated are backed by the big media agencies. So it'd be amazing for a little independent podcast like us to be at least recognised. It'd be awesome. I know. And so many people have contacted me to say that they've voted and we haven't shown up on their Instagram nomination form yet. So I'm hoping that we just come through in the end with loads of votes and surprise them and they yeah. have to give it to us and not one of the news talk ZB or Rover or, you know, massive, massive big podcasts that are run pretty much by the radio stations and newspapers so go in there and vote for destinate ends and give us a shot so that would be majorly appreciated now um, we have another great week of special guests lined up so firstly i interviewed claire waghorn from christchurch airport chambers you missed this one because you were enjoying the last of the snow at the remarkables but i really enjoyed this chat claire is the sustainable transition leader at christchurch airport determined to accelerate the transition within the aviation sector towards zero carbon she is also a barrier and solicitor of the New Zealand High Court with a focus on international climate and environmental law. Claire has an MSc in international relations and an LLB and BA with honours in diplomacy and international relations from Canterbury University. She's a member of the New Zealand Institute of Directors, New Zealand Institute of International Affairs. She's a board member for New Zealand Centre of Global Studies. Wow board member of the Otatahi Kaikoura Lottery Community Board and director of Holland Consulting New Zealand. Her previous roles include International Secretary for the Asia-Pacific Green Federation, Parliamentary Researcher and Issues Assistant for the Green Party of Aotearoa New Zealand and Ministry of Foreign Affairs Foreign Policy Officer. Woo! Wow! Claire is a super high achiever and seriously, this chat is really engaging and I just loved hearing all of the work that Christchurch Airport has been doing for such a long time in the climate and environment space. Well, I can't wait to listen to it either. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds brilliant. And then next we welcome Matt Wong. Now, Matt has a passion for forming great teams and establishing successful businesses that enhance the community and place. And Matt has a background, you won't believe this, in zoology and ecology, holding a variety of research and conservation roles before diverging into travel and tourism for the past 20 years. So Matt has held senior positions with inbound and outbound travel agencies, commercial helicopter operations, adventure activities and wildlife parks. Most recently, the launching of iFly indoor skydiving based in Queenstown and successfully negotiating a management buyout of the adventure tourism business in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Now, but they're finalists in the Employer of Choice Awards. So great category for them to be involved in. And then finally, we have a chat with Tracy Nielsen from the Nelson Regional Development Agency. Tracy grew up in Nelson, Tasman, but left for Otago Uni before her big OE. Tracy's professional career has included brand management and retail marketing for Shell Oil. Returning home in 2004 to be close to family and raise her children, Tracy has been part of the Nelson Regional Development Agency, which was previously Nelson Tasman Tourism Team, for over 10 years predominantly in international marketing, trade and media liaison, and more recently business events. Having been to over 50 countries worldwide, Tracy appreciates the region she lives in and promotes what, with three national parks, coastline, sunshine, arts, Mm -hmm. and artisan and outstanding 
outstanding food and beverage. She's proud to call Nelson home. Tracy now leads the visitor destination agenda to guide the recovery and regeneration of the Nelson Tasman visitor sector, leading industry engagement, capability building and product development are key parts of her job, working collaboratively to ensure the visitor sector is well understood and that Nelson Tasman's destination vision and unique selling proposition are aligned. Now they're finalists in the industry collaboration award they certainly are and just one little fact that you might want to know about Nelson Tasman is it holds one of the highest sunshine rates of 94 percent there you go there you go it's normally (laughs) in a battle with a gizbon but anyway from year to year they win I think they're also in a battle with Tauranga a lot of the time as well (laughs) yes that's true too but what a lineup, Michelle. This is amazing. And we really hope you enjoy these interviews. And don't forget that you can still vote for your favourite and go into the draw to win a Dart River Funyak adventure for two people. So visit destinatenz.com forward slash competitions to enter. Well, enjoy the show, everyone, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Kakade. Kakade. Today we're talking about saving our planet with one of the very worthy finalists in the Toy 2 EnviroCare Environment Award, Christchurch Airport. I'm joined by Claire Waghorn, who is a sustainable transition leader. Kia ora, Claire, and welcome to the show. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for joining us today. Now, this award specifically relates to tourism businesses showing leadership on carbon reduction and eliminating waste. Can you tell us a little bit about Christchurch Airport and what you guys are doing in this space? Sure. Well, Christchurch Airport is New Zealand's second largest airport, located in the middle of the South Island, 10 minutes from the city centre or 15 if you're on a bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also the gateway to Antarctica, which I think is a really special add-on because we've got all those climate scientists that travel past. Yeah. Um, so core to our mission is the idea of being great kaitiaki. In kaitiaki tanga, meaning guardianship of our environment, and that that responsibility lies across generations. So fundamental to this is the need for our business to deliver for people, planet, and prosperity. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a mind shift. If 20th century businesses were all about maximizing profits, we view the role of 21st century businesses is to add value across multiple areas, being that social, community, regenerative nature. It's more than just profits, although mm. being profitable is also... <laughs> That's <welcome>. always handy. <laughs> yes, yes. And we also have this open source policy around our sustainability learnings. We want to lead industry and community to decarbonize. So the vision is bigger than ourselves. And that's what really underpinned our nomination in the environment category. Yeah, awesome. So tell me a little bit about the Tourism Award entry itself and the work that's gone in behind that and what you're doing down there. Sure. We were so chuffed, first of all, to be recognised in the New Zealand Tourism Awards for collaboration and our environmental work. And our application primarily related to our climate action work and transitioning our waste strategy towards supporting a circular economy. So we recognise we're an airport. (laughs) There's no getting away from that. We're part of the aviation sector and that's considered a hard to abate sector in relation to climate. But we're determined that if we can prove we can do climate action, then there's really no excuses. (laughs) So 
what our mission is to demonstrate meaningful emissions reductions now and as such have that flow on through almost the entire economy that is in one way or another connected to the aviation sector. So our award was really relating to having demonstrated world leadership in decarbonisation. Back in 2006, we were the first airport in the world to measure and independently audit our carbon footprint. And then in 2020, yeah, it gets better. (laughs) In 2020, we became the first airport globally to achieve the highest standard in airport carbon reduction best practice. So that was according to Airports Council International, and they measure airports and what they're doing in the emissions reduction space. And this little old airport at the bottom of the world was a real overachiever. So we've taken everything we've learned from our sustainability journey and decided to make it open source. So Mm -hmm. we share and we mentor other airports and we talk to other businesses about what's worked and what hasn't for us in this space. Wow, that sounds amazing. I was reading, I think it was yesterday on LinkedIn, an article that Malcolm Johns, your chief executive, shared saying that the airport's already ahead of its target to reach net zero carbon um, by 2050 and how your work has expanded to assisting other airports, which is what you've just alluded to there with the aim of decarbonising the entire industry. So well done (laughs) to you guys. But can you give me a little um, bit of a sense of some of the emission reduction projects that are actually underway at the airport? Sure. And it's really great that you mentioned Malcolm because he's such a great leader in this space. Uh, Just beyond the airport, he also does a lot of work in the Climate Leaders Coalition and Mm -hmm. at the Asia Pacific APEC level which is really exciting and it's really inspiring for us as staff so the emissions reduction work really belongs to the entire company our sustainability success is shared across the Mm -hmm. entire company from board right through to leadership team and staff operational as well so I want to talk to you a little bit about what the various teams are doing in relation to emissions reduction projects to give you a sense of how holistic the approach is so our finance team for example They're linking sustainability commitments into our financial loan terms. Our procurement team are designing sustainable procurement guidelines. That means we're searching for suppliers and service providers and signaling to them how important carbon reduction is to us if you want to be part of our supply chain. Our property team have designed green building design guidelines so that our buildings on campus are absolutely best practice and currently working on a baseline audit of the embodied emissions and construction to help inform reduced emissions builds in the future. Our people and culture team, they're really great. They've got us doing clothing swaps, regenerative native planting days, a bike to work month, and they organize these knowledge bite sessions where they get experts to come in and uh, educate us in particular areas, including sustainability. Yeah. Our park to plane team have an emissions reduction plan for land transport connections to the airport, LED lighting replacements for the car park, moving towards electric shuttles. Our asset maintenance teams, they're absolute heroes in my mind. They have swapped out our diesel generators for a world first ground source heat pump system that was designed and innovated at Christchurch Airport, which uses the temperature of the water in the aquifer beneath us and a heat exchange system. So our terminal is now heated and cooled by the temperature differential in a closed loop system that doesn't contaminate our aquifers at all. Yeah. 
and is zero emissions. So we save a thousand tons of carbon a year and have swapped off the diesel generators. They also introduced gate ground power at, at on the tarmac. So when a plane comes into the stand and all the passengers get off and get on again, that plane doesn't need to use its auxiliary jet fuel. Instead, it plugs into electricity from the grid. So that saves a huge amount of emissions. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yes. So you can see, I really like, yeah. <laughs> really like the team. <laughs> They've also got a world-class water treatment program going. Our airport services team, they're waste champions. They are constantly looking for ways to improve our circular economy and diversion from landfill. And just recently, one of our airline partners was looking to get rid of a whole load of blankets but they had their logo on them so they weren't right. super keen on passing that along so yep. our team unpicked the logos on all these blankets so they could be redirected to SPCA to the city mission to folk that actually could really use some nice warm blankets and in good quality too mm. and then really cool is we've got a fire service at the airport and they use virtual reality fire training gear rather than starting fires and burning unnecessary fuel to do okay. their training. So yep. that's that's super kind of innovative. They wear these kind of mask things and do their training that way. And then we've also got the quiet heroes. That's our, our data analysts and our marketing and comms team. And they're the people that help us measure and monitor everything. And I think it's really critical in this space that we're used to prioritizing financial data metrics. Businesses get that, but actually the non-financial data is really important as well. Mm. And so, yeah, we measure and monitor everything and that team enable us to share the story and influence others in this space. So this finalist recognition really belongs to the entire team and I just get to share their story. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. And it is nice because quite often sustainability has been one of those buzzwords for many years in the tourism industry. But I think when it first started out, a lot of people just focused on one small environmental project. But when you look at sustainability, it is an all of business approach. And it sounds like you guys have fully embraced that. And that's exactly what you're doing there. So it's great. Yeah. I often think of it sort of like health and safety. Yeah. Like it doesn't work if you've only got one really safe person. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it can't just be driven out of one department. It's got to be company-wide. So, yeah, yeah, great approach. So what opportunity is there for the travellers that pass through the airport to get involved? We welcome and value feedback from our customers in this space and understand that the climate impact of traveling and waste are both really important issues for our customers. Mm. So we've also recently undertaken a huge campus survey, which engaged 250 businesses across our 1000 hectare campus on their social and environmental requirements. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like the national census that we undertake every five years, but it's our campus census and we are asking about sustainability related questions so we can figure out how to guide and support our wider campus on their sustainability journey. Yeah, cool. And how do you communicate these initiatives? Because this is a, a fantastic story and obviously it's world leading. So how do you talk to people about that and let them know the travellers that are coming through the airport, how do they know what you guys are doing? We have some great displays up around our airport. I particularly love our sustainability wall, which for anyone who's familiar with Christchurch Airport, it's opposite the entrance to our Koru Lounge. It's this brilliant graphic that includes a whole range of our sustainability initiatives, such as the electric vehicle fleet, our water program, our autonomous electric vehicle 
our landfill remediation work and it's soon to be updated with some exciting upcoming new projects that we have in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. So we have some really great visuals. We've got these electronic screens in the airport that we push notices on about waste initiatives or carbon reduction initiatives or milestones that we've reached. And we also have a fair amount on our website and within our annual reviews. Cool. And do you get much feedback from your customers? Like, does this make a difference to them? Are they noticing what you guys are doing? Yeah, I think our customers and New Zealanders really value our natural environment. You know, the the type of people that pick this as a destination really value and want to know that businesses are taking their climate responsibilities seriously. I think, you know, travel is one of those magical things that people save up for and look forward to and if we are able to offer it to them without the associated emissions then that's a really big deal and not just for our tourists but the entire economy that depends upon aviation for connection to those global markets. Mm, Yeah definitely and what about your suppliers what conversations have you had with them and have you seen them come on board to support you as well in this mission? We have had amazing conversations um, recently with Electric Air, Sounds Air and Air New Zealand, who are all working to transition their fleet to zero emissions. So Gary Friedman, he's the guy behind Electric Air. Uh, He bought the first electric plane into New Zealand last year, and that operates out of Christchurch Airport. And I really recommend the experience of going for a flight with him. It's a two-seater. It's really just a one-person. So Gary's obviously the pilot. Yeah, right, yep. <laughs> passenger. Scenic flight. It's spectacular. It's so quiet. The windows are huge. So you get incredible views. And of course, there's no fossil fuel. And then Soundsier, they've recently signed an MOU with Heart Aerospace to have a commercially operative electric plane by 2026. Mm. And that would be a 20-seater that would uh, pop across the Cook Strait. And we've already talked to them about what support infrastructure requirements they need. So one 20-seater plane would require 1.5 megawatt to charge it. So that's actually quite a big deal. If that's what one plane needs, we want to be charging multiple planes. So it's got us thinking as airports, okay, there's an energy generation piece to this puzzle we need to be prepared for. And then, of course, Air New Zealand. They are working with um, Airbus and have just recently announced their partnership there in relation to a hydrogen fleet, uh, which is Mm. so encouraging. This commitment to work with these great partners and setting up all the necessary elements to support that piece is very much the exciting part of what we're doing at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I guess because we are on the end of the world and we're so far away from so many of our source markets, this is a really important discussion to be having because as the climate change and sustainability and all of those messages build, and obviously we're in a a process at the moment where there's the big summit happening up in Europe that people are starting to make decisions on where they go and how far they travel. And if we can be one of those sustainable destinations and truly be sustainable, um, not just talking about it, that's got to be a good thing. Absolutely. It will matter so much to our businesses and exporters what their associated emissions are. We really thought hard about what is the future for aviation and particularly in relation to a really geographically isolated Mm. island nation. And we thought, do you know what? The best thing we can do is speed this up. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And just going back to electric air, is that something that the public can do? Take a a scenic flight? 
It is. It's so fun. I think it's $270 yep. and it's about a 45 minute flight. And oh. I'm pretty sure you can book it if you search electric year, they've got a website and you can book yep. it off the website. And yeah, I loved it. It was so much fun. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm a bit of a nervous flyer, but I think I would still enjoy to do something like that. <laughs> so tell me, Claire, are you using an external accreditation program to run this program or how did you go about setting it all up? Yes, yes. We use um, airport carbon accreditation program, which is considered the global best practice standard for airports. You have to meet these really high benchmarks in terms of policy and governance commitments to reduce your carbon impact then you need to set targets based in science so you can't just say oh 30 by 2030 that's got Mm -hmm. a nice ring it has to actually be related to what your industry is capable of doing and they set a whole bunch of clever scientists set the pace at which they expect you to do your bit so we've aligned ours to the global goal of one point keeping temperatures within 1.5 degrees Mm -hmm. then you need have an emissions reduction plan, which sets out every single project you're going to undertake and how much emissions each project will save in order to show how you're going to reach that target. Wow. And then you need to actually do all those projects. It's not enough to just plan. You need to do them and then demonstrate the continued emissions reduction. So uh, we're really lucky because we're quite a long way through that journey, whereas a lot of people are doing their planning now and you'll know the government's just released their emissions Mm. reduction plan. We've implemented a lot of ours. And then there's also uh, the other element of the airport carbon accreditation program, which is the stakeholder partnership plan. And that's how do you influence your supply chain? It's not enough to get your own emissions in line. You have to look at how you can extend yourself. Wow. So how does it work at an airport when you've got tenants that aren't controlled by you? Have they all come on board with this process as well, or are they treated a little bit separately? They would be part of our stakeholder partnership plan, Mm -hmm. but we have got some fantastic tenants that are really eager to make progress in particularly renewable energy, that area, and to see how they can do waste better. So we're having some amazing conversations across our campus with our tenants in this space so as you say we're not able to directly control but we can certainly influence collaborate and support so uh, we do that as much as we can yeah perfect and the airport carbon accreditation scheme that you talked about how many airports around the world are part of that is it something that most have signed up to or is it still growing I'd I'd say it's still growing. There are hundreds of airports signed up, all the big ones pretty much. Right, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a really, really popular scheme for airports because for us, it just allowed us that expert scrutiny. Mm. We can think we're doing pretty good and you can really learn a lot through going through an audit with them because they think of everything. You could do a normal carbon footprint with, there's fantastic auditors in New Zealand, like Mm Toitu, for example, but the airport carbon accredited auditors, they have to sit a specific exam relating to airports. So they ask peculiar questions like what kind of de-icing substances you're using, which just wouldn't turn up on a normal business footprint. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me what results have you seen? Ah, this is the fun part. (laughs) So this year, carbon footprint has been independently verified and it demonstrates an 85% reduction in our scope one emissions. So as I was talking about earlier, our science-based targets that set the pace, they um, had 
told us we needed to be 85% reduced by 2035. So we are 14 years ahead of our targets there. And we are so stoked about that. We're also confident that that's not the result of COVID. Mm -hmm. Those are genuine projects that we've undertaken that have changed our emissions activities. So uh, that's huge. With our scope two emissions, that's from purchased electricity, we've reduced by 30% against our baseline. And for us, we want more. So we've got projects <laughs> underway, which maybe I'll talk to you about next year. Yeah, um, that sounds great. <laughs> and then with regard to waste, we've also got this new approach, which is we've split our waste contracts so that we've got our waste removal. And then mm-hmm. we've also got waste minimization specialists and they're helping us redesign everything we do towards a circular economy. Yep. It's the yep. long journey because it requires the entire country to be on board and to be part of this circular journey. But it's one that I think is worth starting to design for now. And you just take it one piece at a time. So we've started one of my favorite waste outcomes, for example, involves our coffee grinds from the cafes. Mm -hmm. They all get redirected to improve soil health around our campus. So they're sprinkled over the gardens and it's just a really good, constantly improving, regenerating um, outcome. So that's what we're looking for with all of our waste streams. So you can appreciate that'll take some time. Yes, that's a long-term project for sure, but amazing that you guys have started that journey because hopefully there'll be other businesses thinking about it and seeing what you guys are doing and follow your lead, so to speak. And we'll follow theirs when they come up with solutions for us. If somebody's got a solution for the COVID face masks. Oh, yes, yes. That's a big problem, isn't it? (laughs) So what impact does the airport want to have into the future? What's the vision? We want a totally decarbonized aviation sector. We want future generations to be able to have access to the rest of the world, to that connectivity without the negative impacts on our environment. So our dream would be for New Zealand to have an entirely zero emissions domestic aviation sector. And that's not impossible. We just need to think critically, challenge the status quo, innovate, Mm -hmm. collaborate, and then resource that transition. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Wow. Well, Claire, thank you so much. That wraps up all of my questions for today. And thank you to your whole team for leading the way on the world stage, not just New Zealand. It's a vitally important challenge for the whole tourism industry at the moment. And it's great to see Christchurch Airport up there leading by example and showing us the way. So all the best at the Tourism Awards next month. Hopefully they will still go ahead. And thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, It's been such a privilege. Thank you for having me. And now we welcome Matt Wong to the show. Matt recently launched iFly Indoor Skydiving based in Queenstown, successfully negotiating a management buyout of the adventure tourism business in 2021 and is a finalist in the Tourism Talent Employer of Choice Award. Kia ora, Matt, and welcome to the show. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So before we kick off, tell us a little bit about iFly. Yeah, sure. Well, it simulates the freefall component of the skydive, and we've got a state-of-the-art wind tunnel, and we can have the wind speed up to around 250 kilometres an hour. So, And it perfectly replicates that freefall component, and it's a great device for pro flies. Lisa's been in the tunnel a few times yeah, uh, <laughs> and done a bit of training in there, but 
It's also great for first-time flyers that may not want to take that first leap out of a plane. So it's a nice stepping stone for them. And uh, yeah, it's been an interesting exercise launching it into a, a saturated tourism market in 2018. Yeah. Uh, but we've found our little niche and, and we found that our demographics are actually quite large. Do you have any stats on how many people convert to a real skydive after they've been with you? No, no, <laughs> we don't. But, but yeah. it's interesting the amount of times we hear the comment, I could do a real skydive now. Yeah, I wonder yeah. that. So it'd be great to partner with a skydiving company and be able to send our clients their way and, and vice versa on bad weather days. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah well, we may be able to organise that some, somehow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know yeah, someone, yeah. actually. We're not a good skydiving, don't we? <laughs> I think you have to organise this once in a while. Absolutely. So... And, and it's great that you've got that wider market. I always kind of think of a wind tunnel, a bit like um, a bowling alley as such. You can have return visitation, you can improve your skills. It can be its own separate sport as such, really, isn't it? And, and its own discipline. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, there's 80 odd tunnels around the world of high fly tunnels, and they've really evolved it into a sport in its own right. So, indoor body flight as a sport. So, we really want to develop that in New Zealand. And what we are finding is there is a market for people that come and do our product. Uh, and I think on the surface of it, it looks like a one of those tourism activities that's a one and done. So you do it once, you don't need to do it again. But the more you do it, the more you get addicted to it and the more you progress. And so that's the market we're really trying to turn on right now. And uh, you know, the Queenstown local market's quite small, but we do find that domestically since COVID has hit, mm. there's actually quite a nice wee market that is, is engaged in that sport. And then it leans to skydiving out of a plane as well so we're working with Lisa on how we can actually integrate uh, indoor and outdoor skydiving yeah, yeah perfect and so Matt obviously for our listeners what makes your company culture quite unique and attractive to your team and and potentially prospective employees look I, I don't think we're any anything unique per se I, I think we took the challenge of of startup which was in 2018-19 and we made a lot of mistakes so we we went through that whole forming, norming, storming, performing of a startup. And then we were just sort of coming out of that startup phase and then COVID hit. So we went back into startup again. But throughout it all, certainly the first year was tough, certainly HR-wise and getting our team mixed right and going from that sort of that, I think what we had as a team was quite a egocentric team. Mm-hmm. Lots of instructors knew lots of things. They knew what they were doing and they're going to do it their way. We weren't mm-hmm. working as a team. We were working as a bunch of individuals with talent. And we had to streamline that back to what we needed as a business and, and what was good for us. And we got there finally in 2000 and, and, uh, 2019. And then COVID smacked us. But through going through that startup phase, it gave us that resilience to keep going. And once we had hit our team right, it was about putting people first. And it was kind of, I know it's, it's cliche. There's all those cliches about how you look after your team and whatever. But there's so many operators didn't do it. Mm-hmm. They, 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 had, they had it all right in the good times and they knew everything they needed to do. But when crisis hit, they didn't do it. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily the, the, the HR people's fault. It was you know, wider. It was probably the, the, the board of directors and, and the board was governing what was important. And what was important was money. It wasn't people. Mm-hmm. And so what we did when we were locked down in 2020, March 2020, was I was watching the landscape and I thought, I'll do everything the opposite of, of all the companies that aren't doing it right. And let's see how that works. So we kept our team. We, we uh, I communicated every week and I said, right, we've got wage subsidy, we've got all these sorts of things. 
and your jobs are safe. We gave them security. So they didn't have to worry. And when we came out of lockdown, they were above the line. Mm -hmm. You've heard of above the line, below the line, all that sort of fun stuff. And I had some great advice. I had a business coach when we came into lockdown and she said to me, look after your worst staff member. And every team's got their worst staff member. Everyone knows who they are. But it's really powerful when the boss says, I'm going to look after you. You're not going anywhere. You are as important to this team as the rest of us. Um, When you say that to your worst staff member, the rest of the team go, wow, if he's got their back, he's definitely got our back. And that, that just, that, that was the way we, we approached it right from day one. And it worked. Man, did it work. Our team did everything to make our business survive and, and thrive even. So we've found opportunities we never thought existed. Um, and, and I've just been amazed at how, how much they've lifted, lifted our business out of crisis. It's been wow. cool. Oh, that's, that's really amazing. cool. They often say that you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if you can get that weakest link performing and on your side and an advocate for the business, obviously that's going to help morale if they're happier and more comfortable in their job than if they're sitting there miserable and dragging the rest of the team down. Yeah, absolutely. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs is one of the, the philosophies that, that we went with. And and I'm not a I'm not a philosopher at all, but that worked really well for us. And, and the bottom tier is physiological needs. That's food, shelter. And then the next one is safety. Are you offering job security? The next one is love, belonging, that sort of thing. So if we could at least get the bottom two or three tiers of Maslow's pyramid right with our team, then the rest is easy. And then there's, yeah, there's self-actualization at the very top of that pyramid. And that's where our, our business sits. And that's where our team sits now is... They're striving to reach their best potential. Now, I know that there's businesses that, that are nowhere near that. So we're extremely fortunate that we're a novel business. Kiwis love us. Our price point works really well. And we've got a team that's motivated to, to mm. find solutions. So to an extent, yes, we did the groundwork, but it's paid off dividends. It's been an amazing ride, I guess, and learning curve. So when I started iFly, I'd never worked with millennials before. I've managed everything but um, and, and so I came to this going oh here we go this is going to be a challenge what I discovered though is they are just as good as every other age group there is their needs slightly different or the, the way you communicate to them is slightly different but once you've got the magic formula with them they are amazing and I'd take millennials any day now which is very, very strange for me to say three years on. (laughs) For any employer, (laughs) most of them discredit them, but they add something else. They see the world in a different way to the rest of us, so they have a new perspective. So how have you stayed connected with your team through this past 18 months and when we've spent a lot of time at home and away from the workplace? Yeah, it has been challenging. I think one of the, the main things, we started talking about mental health right at the start before it became really popular in tourism. I think this year we've heard a lot about mental health in the workplace and within the tourism industry, but we were tackling that problem just as COVID was hitting. And then as we went through that lockdown, I got great advice about what we should be doing as leaders. And what you need to do as a leader is you need to be vulnerable and you need to be authentic and genuine. And that advice was just perfect timing because that's what I tried to achieve 
And it was tough for me because I come from a Chinese background, very staunch, very stoic. You don't mm-hmm. talk about feelings at all. <laughs> and I'm a male as well. So <laughs> I had it all, and, I'm, and I guess I'm a manager leader. So, you know, he had it all stacked against you, but I knew that I had to uh, let down my guard a bit because if I didn't, my team wouldn't do that and they wouldn't feel comfortable or safe being able to do that. So I did that. And I remember one meeting where um, I asked my team, what can I do for you to make your life better? And it could have been anything. And it didn't have to be work-related. It could be at home. It could have been anything. And then I, I proceeded to tell them, I'm having a shit time. You know, this this is a, a tough time for me, and this is what I'm going through. And so I sort of opened myself up to being vulnerable. And two weeks later, I had a card and a present on my desk saying, thanks very much for looking after us from the whole team. And that just drove me to do more and more and more and try and lead that way because I knew that was the secret to engaging with your team and having a great team of performance, knowing that they could turn to their boss at any time, say, I'm having a real shit time. So that that was a hard thing for, I think, any leader to do. But at the same time, that is the secret sauce. And when you do it, it's actually not that hard. It's actually a relief. And and to this day, I've still got stress. I, I talk to well-being professionals and physios and they go your shoulders your shoulders are still hunched up like this <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right? and, and I know you can't see on this podcast but basically your shoulders are tense and so now you start finding ways that you can manage your stress and we're passing that on to our team yeah awesome. yeah that's great advice I think there's a lot of leaders who keep that brick wall up and it's almost that I think they see it as a show of strength but actually when you do let those walls come down and you admit some vulnerability it actually makes you human to your team and they can relate to you because we're all going through different stuff at different times it's nobody's life's ever perfect so yeah really well done for doing that yeah that's right I mean perfection is, is unattainable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think sometimes we strive for it and it's, it's pretty tricky to, to get there. Yeah. Do you do anything that you consider as different to other workplaces to motivate your team? Oh, we do lots of little things differently, I guess. We look for opportunities and while it's quiet, we use that time to do mm-hmm. upskilling and training. So we, we're actually going through Clifton Strengths training at the moment. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we did it with our leadership team. Now we're going to do it with the whole team. I see ourselves as high-performing sports teams. That's what I see our iFly team as. Because they get in that wind tunnel, basically they're wrestling human beings uh, <laughs> in, in 200 k's of wind. It's quite physically demanding. And so I looked at it one day and I thought, after a big school holidays, and they were exhausted. So I bought the massages and I thought, they, they perform more like a, a, a sports team. So how do we prepare for the big match? How do we see our way through and perform for the 80 minutes or whatever time it might be and how do we recover quickly we need to look at nutrition we need to look at the workouts we need to look at how their mental health is as well as their physical and we need to look at things like nutrition and diet and all those sorts of things so i'm now and this is a massive move for me from being a tourism operator just going oh we need hosts and great customer service to going no no these guys are athletes this is a sports team. We are high-performing athletes in a sports team. We're going to work together to win um, our World Cup. And, and so it's a different take. And I remember listening to Steve Chu, who was the CEO of uh, Rugby New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about it, um, about the commercial side of rugby, 
but also the high performance of, of rugby and the expectations of their athletes and the mental strain that they had on themselves. And, and I could just see how that related perfectly to what we do here. But we're not the only tourism business like this. You will have tourism businesses that have peak times and have shoulder times and they have lead up to their peaks. And what I found in our peaks was it took us a good three or four days to hit our high performance stride because yeah. we weren't preparing ourselves. Mm-hmm. So now we're going through that whole setup and we're running it, yes, as a business, but we're running it more like a sports team than we are a business. So a little bit unorthodox, but, you know, it takes in a, a wide scope of, of uh, skill set. And are you already seeing benefits from this? And, and how do you measure that success? Do you have KPIs in place for you to no, be we're, we're at the start of our journey, but that, that's the, the fun part about it, I guess. And mm-hmm. COVID's given us time to be able to think about these things. And we want to be, in two to three years' time, we want to be on top of our game. We want to be one of those businesses that's a household name. So we're at the start of our journey, but when you include your staff in the conversation of this is what we're thinking, and I guess from a, a tourism perspective, when you've got hosts or guides or whatever, they love to think that they are high-performing athletes. So when you use those analogies and we're a high-performance sports team, we're not a tourism business, they all of a sudden are engaged in physical training and health and fitness and nutrition and mind, you know, making sure that your mind is healthy as well. So they were on board with it. So that was part of the reason why I sort of picked up that sports analogy was because um, I wanted them to buy into it. Now, if we just said, hey, we just want to make more money as a commercial business, as a tourism business, then probably wouldn't work so well. So, yeah, but we do lots of other things. So we pay commission for all our staff and that encourages them to sell more. One of the things over COVID was making sure that our staff had enough money to survive. And that Mm -hmm. was that whole Maslow's thing of, of security, making sure you've got enough money to pay your rent. So we, we've increased everyone's wages, but what we've also done is we've introduced those sales um, targets as well. If they achieve them, they get commissions. And so it drives them to help our business, but also they get a kickback as a result. So better money for us, better money for the staff. Mm. Yeah. Very right. good. Mm. And how do you celebrate success at iFly? Oh, it's, it's hard. As a startup, I was thinking about this the other day. We don't really stop to celebrate that much, and we probably should do better at that. And and I'd be lying if I said we celebrate all our wins because sometimes I don't know what our wins are. You know, mm-hmm. over over crisis, you're going, oh, phew, we survived. Is that a win? I'm not sure. I guess it is, uh, but we sometimes forget. And and I guess the way that we celebrate is, you know, we're entering a lot of these awards. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we're getting into the finals, which is kind of nice, but we haven't won one yet. So I think that's recognition in itself that if we can at least get to the finals, we're going to celebrate that. You know, things like buying our stuff massages at the end of the um, school holidays. It's mm-hmm. a bit of a thank you, but it's more of a, we put money in the bank. We're, we've done an amazing job. We've now got a buffer so that we can survive the next lockdown. So it's quite hard. And I, I would say we don't celebrate enough and we probably need to do it better. <laughs> oh well I'm, I'm always game for a celebration so if I can help in any way just call out yeah. <laughs> um, so what outcomes have you seen as a specific result of your focus on the team obviously you've survived you talked about that you've seen some other new initiatives but what really stands out the most that you're like yes I've nailed it because of yeah yeah I'm a, from a commercial standpoint EBITDA, positive EBITDA at the end of 2020. 
Wow. And I'm pretty proud of that fact, you know, from a, from a business perspective, you know, when your board or your GM is always looking at the P&L and going, how did we do this year? To say mm-hmm. that we had a positive EBITDA is amazing. Being mm-hmm. able to, uh, I hate to use that P word, so I'll, I'll use that, to be able to change our business. Yep. <laughs> you know, we're now dabbling in, in, in sport. We're dabbling in um, educational facilities now. And, and so we do STEM uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, mm-hmm. and we're engaging our staff and being educators in that. But if I look at it from a, a staffing perspective, we've got great engagement. A staff survey with all the international tunnels, we came out on top for the most satisfied out of all the staff and all the international Wi-Fi tunnels. That's amazing. Um, that's a pretty cool achievement. Yeah. Um, not letting go of anyone was kind of nice. You know, um, We were saying that just today, how we have such a high retention, we actually, we wouldn't mind a little bit of turnover, just to freshen it up a wee bit. <laughs> Get some new blood in, but the fact that our staff don't want to leave, they, they want to stay here, they wouldn't think of going anywhere else. That's a pretty cool achievement in, its, in itself. And having our own staff rave about the way we looked after them during crisis to our customers. Yeah. That, yeah, that's pretty. That's cool. a big one. Yeah. That's huge. When you over when you overhear your staff, because um, certainly after lockdowns, the customer always asks, "Oh, how are you guys going?" Mm. And to hear our staff compliment the management team on how well they've been looked after, yeah, that that puts a lump in your throat. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome, and probably can't be said for every tourism business out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it is tough, and and everyone's got their own situations all, all I can talk about is from our standpoint that looking after people looking after your team has paid off yeah and I know for a fact had I after that first lockdown looked at the bank balance or looked at our our cash forecast and said we need to cut labor costs I know our business would not have had the result it had last year and it certainly wouldn't have had the result this year either Well, that's a great case study for others to listen to and look at for maybe next time it happens. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks so much, Matt. It's been great having you on the show and congratulations on the incredible work you're doing with your team in Queenstown. So good luck for the awards night. We'll be gunning for you and hopefully you'll make it across the line and be a winner, not just a finalist. Anyway, Matt has kindly donated two iFly Kickstart packs for you and a friend, which is valued at $198 for us to give away to our listeners. So you all need to tell us what that involves, Matt. Ah, right. So basically it's our starter packs. So if you've never flown in an iFly tunnel before, come on and join us. It's Kickstart is two flights. Each flight is 60 seconds long. And in that, we're going to teach you the basics of body flight. Wow. Oh, that sounds like fun. Well, to be fair, I actually know it is incredible. So um, you, our listeners, you need to head to our Facebook or our Instagram page and enter because it's a, it's a lot of fun. I will pre-warn you, it is addictive. <laughs> yes, you will be back. <laughs> oh, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. And as Lisa said, all the best on the awards night and we'll chat to you soon. My yeah. pleasure. Thanks okay. for having me. Kakite. We now welcome Tracy Nielsen to the show. Kia ora, Tracy. Kia ora. Thanks, Michelle. Kia ora, Tracy. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Is it sunny and sunny Nelson? 
Yeah, it's a little overcast, but it's very warm. It's about 16 degrees out there. But you, as you well know, Lisa, the sun <laughs> always shines in Nelson. It sure <laughs> does, Tracy. <laughs> and so, Tracy, you're the Visitor Destination Manager at Nelson Regional Development Agency. So can you tell us a little bit about the project that you collaborated on and presented in this award? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, the reason a lot of people live in Nelson, but also visit Nelson as our great natural assets. We've got three national parks, lots of coastline, and, you know, we want to protect this asset for generations to come. So, yeah, we decided to better educate a lot of our tourism operators who individually were doing some great stuff anyway, but it's like, let's collaborate and work together as the team. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Quite. Mm, cool so why did you decide to collaborate in the beginning and can you tell us a little bit more detail about what the goals were of the project yeah absolutely so like I mentioned a lot of uh, tourism operators are doing good projects but they're often quite hard to evaluate and quite complex to share and we were finding when we were still welcoming our international visitors there was also an element of people wanting to give back you know, people were travelling from the other side of the world. They were thinking about their emissions getting here on the plane. So it was sort of a little bit of in response to consumer demand. But, yeah, we work really closely with ECOF here, and we thought a really good starting point would be, you know, talking to operators and educating them, motivating them to look at their carbon emissions as their very first step. Yeah, so... My predecessor, who now works as a sustainability advisor for tourism industry, Aotearoa, actually just before lockdown started running a few workshops and I just really snowballed from there. Mm. So what is the project? Can you give a bit more detail around that? Yeah, absolutely. So I probably didn't answer your last question as well as I could in terms of our goal and it's positioning Nelson Tasman as a region that really cares about the environment So we got together a group of operators and we also work closely with a local organisation who are a volunteer group called Business for Climate Action. And then we started talking to ECOS and Toitu about how individuals could offset their emissions. And the quite sort of, you know, exciting and humbling part was that a lot of people went through this process during lockdown. So they weren't welcoming visitors. So it was really nice that they had something to focus on. And as a result, we've also found that we've inspired a whole lot of other regions. We've had other regional tourism offices and economic development agencies saying, hey, guys, you're slightly ahead of your game at the top of the south. Talk to us about it. So, yeah, it's been a really lovely project, actually, and with a a great outcome. Mm, That sounds amazing. So... How many operators got in behind what you're doing and how has the scope grown since you first started? So we got to, yeah, we started off with probably half a dozen and then we got to a dozen and we were quite excited about that because I think we got to about 15 tourism operators who were either zero carbon or um, even you know, positive carbon. And then we realised we had enough operators that we could offer visitors to our region an actual itinerary where all the touch points when they came to Nelson were operators who were offsetting their emissions. So they were measuring, monitoring and reducing their emissions. 
and offsetting what they couldn't eliminate, be it planting a native tree, etc. Mm. So we're actually up to about 26 at last count. Oh, and wow. Yeah, so there's another three or four who are also going through the um, process now. Cool. That's brilliant. And how did you coordinate all this? And, and who's in charge of coordinating all this going on as, it, as more operators come on board? Uh, look, well, we've got a couple of operators in the Able Tasman who have always been passionate about the environment with the Able Tasman Birdsong Trust, Project Yanzoon, a few things, Tasman Bay Guardians. So it was just having a few personalities in there who really believed and cared about it. And so Giza, my predecessor, who we're really fortunate to still have in Nelson, she's in the sustainability advisor role, but she really, really led it. And look, to be honest, it wasn't always in work hours. She really championed the initiative, and I think she'll stay behind. And we, the other thing worth noting is it's not just tourism operators. We've actually got several food and beverage producers in there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So you really can come to Nelson and, you know, your breakfast can be young granola. You can drink chia drinks. So it's a total experience. That sounds really cool. So I know we haven't been able to welcome back international visitors yet, but are you seeing domestic visitors starting to respond to this messaging? Absolutely. So we've had a lot of consumer interest, media interest and trade interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all they have to do is contact us through our eyesight and we'll offset their emissions while they're here of them once they're in the region. Yeah, so absolutely. We were approached uh, recently by Nissan, who obviously have electric vehicles, and they're looking at running a little feature on the whole region, and that'll be across their platforms, and they're looking at getting some travel writers. Yeah, Yeah. we've had a a huge amount of interest. Tourism New Zealand want to sort of have us front-footed on their homepage. So, yeah, it's been a real success. Mm. Although, to be fair, that's not the main reason we did it. Yeah, we did it for the greater good of the region, but in terms of how much interest there's been, it's yeah, been really encouraging. Yeah, nice. Right. And and do you think the domestic visitor is actually picking to come and stay in Nelson because of this fact? Is that is that one of the decision making? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think in the last probably 24 months we have with climate action and you know global warming, I think. The general traveller is aware of the impact they have on the environment. So I absolutely believe it's another real key proposition for us. It's a sort of feather in our cap, but I just think it fits in nicely with those wider, like the Tiaki promise, like tourism industry, Aotearoa, sustainability commitment. Yeah, I think it just, yeah, it, it shows we care. Yeah. And were there any major challenges that you faced? Is it greenwashing? No, it's not. And it's not the total be all and end to the end, but it is, it's a really good step in the right direction. You know, it's the best tool we currently have now. So it's objective, it's measurable, like externally audited. Somebody said to us recently, oh, but will you run out of space to plant trees? There's plenty of space to plant trees. <laughs> oh, for sure. So when you first started this, Tracy, was there a, a budget and timeline and objectives, like a real plan that was put together, or did it happen more naturally? 
No, yeah, it probably was a more organic approach, Michelle. We just sort of rolled with it and we were resourceful on, you know, like then when we wanted to promote it, obviously, we wanted to have a really nice video and being yep. a smaller um, regional tourism office, that was slightly challenging, but we did find that sort of the timing was really great with the MB STAP funding. Mm. So we were really fortunate and it, it really feeds in well with our destination management plan. Yep. which we've completed because there's a huge part of that is about the greening of our travel, of, you know, light footprint. So we've been fortunate now that we can just grow what we've got. Yeah, so it was really exciting when we entered the tourism awards and we're one of the finalists in the collaboration section. Yeah, we're up against some, you know, great competitors, but just to be an award finalist is reassuring that we've, you know, chosen a good initiative. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And talking about collaboration, do you have any tips for any businesses that might be looking to collaborate with others or on whether it be a project like this or something otherwise? I think that's a really good point. Here in the top of the south, at least that you'll know from your days when you were here, we are fortunate in that we're quite a close community and you know a strong network. The tourism operators do socialise together, they bounce ideas off each other, you know, there's a few formal and informal groups. Look, I just think it's being inclusive, using the right channels to inform people what we're doing, and sharing of information, I think it's really important. We're not particularly competitive in Nelson, even in the Able Tasman, we've got 13 or 14 kayaking operators, but we're all very good at sharing information, guides, resources. Yes, I think that was the key. And just also remembering to celebrate success. We've done really well with this and we should, you know, Mm. pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, well done. Yeah. And I think Dunedin were one of the first regions to contact us and say, hey, we're really interested in what you're doing. Talk us through it. And we're not just keeping it to ourselves. It's great to see the whole South Island on this journey, for example. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and it ties in so nicely with the messaging that we put out about New Zealand to the rest of the world. And if we can actually say, hey, we're actually walking the talk, yeah, yeah, it just adds that authenticity into the story, doesn't it? Yeah, and fits in nicely with 100% pure and the reason people come to our country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you think you'll see this collaboration grow in terms of the number of operators wanting to be involved when the borders start to open up again? Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably, it was the international visitor that thought process in our head. But yeah, I do think it will become, I think people have had a lot of time in the last 18 months to reflect on their behaviours and their interaction with the environment. So I just think there's only potential for this to grow. And if we can share this with other regions, with consumers, then we feel good about that. Yeah, that's brilliant. And there's been so many stories right through the pandemic about positive stories with people not traveling as much and that impact that we have on the environment. And of course, we still want people to travel because we are at the um, the end of the world but we want them to do that responsibly and have that sustainable project or process in place here when they arrive Mm, absolutely yeah 
Cool. Well, Tracy, that brings us to the end of our questions. So thank you so much for chatting with us. And it's really inspiring to hear what you're all doing up there in Nelson Tasman. So congratulations on becoming finalists in the Tourism mm -hmm. Awards. And we look forward to hearing how you go on the night. If there is an awards night, we've still got our fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> we yeah, haven't had an update on that yet. But <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun? But regardless, it's just nice to be at this point anyway. So yeah. yeah. And look, we appreciate you um, yeah, chatting to us. That's great. Well done. And we'll welcome you here in the top of the south whenever you can. Yes, we well, we are planning on being there for the tech conference next year. So, uh, yes, yes, that will probably be my next visit. We're already starting to talk about our pre and post for mills. So yes, <laughs> we'll look forward and to there's that. And actually, there's some great pre and post for mills too in terms of giving back to the environment. So, yeah, right, perfect. Yeah, lots, lots of great things. Yeah, Pretty awesome. Thanks, okay, thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Cheers, Tracy. Kind yeah. of day. Bye.